When Sophia receives tickets for the ladies to appear on a game show, they're devastated to realize they only have 12 hours to get across the country. Maybe they should go as it could be worth it if they win big. But after a mix-up at the hotel, a purse robbery, team swapping, and a lot of soup, they realized perhaps they should have taken the lost tickets as a sign to just stay home. Thank goodness they didn't because it gives us one of the funniest, most quotable episodes of the entire series. So make a fist so we can grab that dough. All of that and an interview with my friend and Wheel of Fortune winner, Emily Rowney. Thank you for the friendship. We've come so far and traveled wide. You're my best friends. I could never lie. I love when we party, dance and sing, and laugh just doing our thing. No matter the misters that come and go. I hope you know you'll always be my sisters. It's another busy evening in the kitchen where a blue dress and apron wearing rose is at the oven. Dorothy in a white blouse and teal floral pattern cover is at the table and a busy bodied Blanche is passing out pepper shakers and corn cans. When Sophia, in a white dress and seafoam cardigan, arrives, Dorothy offers her dinner. But she hasn't the time nor interest. There are bigger and better things going on. She has, in her purse, something that will bring them pleasure beyond their wildest dreams. Unlike Rose, who last week had no interest in a mail-order vibrator, veggie-chopping Blanche would like to know if the joystick came with batteries. Sadly, it isn't that kind of ecstasy Sophia is bringing to the table, but in some ways, it's better. They have all been selected to appear on the TV game show, Grab That Dough. Because we are, spiritually, the same person, Dorothy can't hear this, or any news really, without an eye roll. Oh, jeez. A silly game show where contestants are willing to do anything for money? Sophia confirms, that's the one. With that, the whole house breaks into squeals of excitement and shimmies of joy. Not only do they love the show, Rose especially loves the host, which I used to find kind of blasphemous for Rose of all people to say, as I can't imagine Betty giving love to any other guy. But it could also maybe be the sweetest, as she was the one who married a game show host in real life. So perhaps Guy Corbin is her Alan Ludden proxy. That's very sweet. Isn't that sweet? That's very sweet, I said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's 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 very cute. I, I believe that's true. It wasn't until watching this for writing that I was like, oh, wait, because when I was younger, I was like, no, she can't be saying that. But now I'm like, oh, maybe he's because she did so many game shows. She was on every game show that existed and he was her love. So it's cute or sweet, as you said. Rose loves Guy so much, she sees him as the perfect mixture of Gene Rayburn from Match Game, Chuck Woolery from Love Connection and as the original host of Wheel of Fortune, and Bob Eubanks from The Newlywed Game. Given that they were all stars in the 70s and 80s, they were indeed donned in head-to-toe polyester, especially Gene Rayburn, who also wins in the large, white, but mostly cigarette-stained teeth department. 
When Dorothy takes a look at the tickets, the good news quickly turns bad. Yes, Finn, it's bad news. The taping is tomorrow in Hollywood. No, not the 40-minute drive away Hollywood, Florida. Unfortunately, it's the 40-hour drive away Hollywood, California. No, Sophia, it isn't happening on Remulac, the home planet of SNL characters The Coneheads, which is at least 40 light years away. So where are you from? The planet Remulac. I am fuel survey underlord for your entire... Never mind, never mind, never mind. Checking the envelope, trying to find out why a professional production like Grab That Dough would expect people to arrive with less than 24 hours notice, Dorothy sees that they had been given sufficient time to prepare. Four months, in fact which was when the tickets were originally sent. Unfortunately, Sophia had put her old Sicilian address, two miles west of Palermo, under the bridge, as the return address. Rose is shocked to hear Sophia used to be a bridge dweller, but she shouldn't be. Sophia's family was very fancy. Of course they had a bridge. It's not like they were peasants that just lived out in the open. After being so excited, Blanche is devastated they'll be missing their big game show break. But Sophia's confused. It's not like you need to stay home to tend to a cheesecake. This is our chance to win big. We've got to go. Feeling inspired, they all agree to clean up dinner, pack, purchase very expensive last-minute cross-country flights, and head west for the five-and-a-half-hour flight. Luckily, they'll gain those three hours back. Arriving at a hotel in the middle of the night slash early morning, we learn the girls' luggage has been lost. They must have flown American Airlines as they have the highest percentage of lost luggage. But overall, there's only a 0.4% chance your luggage will ever be lost or misplaced. Coco? Tell that to my satchel that (laughs) never arrived. (laughs) I was going to ask, have you ever lost luggage or has an airline, I should say, lost your luggage? No. Oh. And, you know, the last time I flew, they were cool with me taking weed on the plane. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if they were cool, (laughs) but you didn't get busted. (laughs) That's correct. I have never lost my luggage. I don't think I've ever known anyone who's lost their luggage. I guess 0.4% is pretty small. (laughs) I think I've known people who, like, have multiple times had it happen. Maybe they just fly a lot more so the odds are higher. Or maybe they fly American more. Hey! I mean, just a very accurate roast. My apologies to the American Airline Corporation. (laughs) Did we fly American? I liked it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a plane. Yeah, you get on, it kind of stinks. It's (laughs) it's muggy about 20 minutes in, and it's it's like, uh, well, like living in a ventilation shaft. Mm -hmm. But but the the, the air being circulated is 200 people's farts. (laughs) And opinions. (laughs) entering a hotel lobby that has clearly been inspired by the girls decorative style there are peach chairs a pastel striped couch and even a brady bunch horse statue behind it chandeliers small lamps large lamps a fireplace this lobby literally has it all including a couple that was just enjoying the couch but must be going now even though it's like four in the morning Let's get some fan fiction on what those two late-night lovers were up to, shall we? I believe they are the ones who stole their purses. <gasps> oh, and maybe like they're in with Nancy, the receptionist, and she's like, hey guys, we've got somebody. They're staying in the lobby, and I'm going to go take my break. <gasps> and then they come back and take it. Oh my oh, gosh. They're just marks. 
You did it. She does that all the time. And I could tell that she was mean right away. <laughs> She's a white lady. <laughs> Since this was the 1980s and people still dressed up to fly, the ladies look wonderful for having flown through the night. We've got Sophia in a funeral home wallpaper-inspired dress and pink cardigan, Rose in a blue wrap dress over a white blouse, Blanche in a sparkly red dress under her long blue and red and black flowered jacket, and Dorothy in her flesh boots, taupe pants, white blouse with a long vest and a bow tie, and one of her multicolored dusters, and a purse that says, I'm not to be messed with. I commend them for looking so nice, but is it really worth putting in so much effort to please strangers when you're the one stuck sleeping in a sequin dress on a plane? Feeling lost and hopeless, Sophia suggests they all look to Blanche for advice on how to check into a hotel without any luggage. Blanche isn't worried about her bags. They're going to win so much money on the show, they'll be able to buy whatever they want. Same goes for Dorothy and her bags her mother assuming she means the ones under her eyes, which she will be able to afford to get surgically removed. Heading to the counter, the girls encounter Nancy, the receptionist. Get ready for the most appropriate name to match Nancy's funny and adorable little voice. She is being played by Lucy Lee Flippin. Fun fact, before becoming a full-time actor, she was a professional ice skater for a year. Sure, throughout her acting career, she's appeared in Judging Amy, Rat Race, Beverly Hills 90210, Mr. Belvedere, Full House, Earth Girls Are Easy, Lady in White, Santa Barbara, Moonlighting, Newhart, Flashdance, Little House on the Prairie, Flo, The Ropers, Annie Hall, and The Bob Newhart Show. But most importantly, she appeared in the 20-minute special, Smoking, How to Stop. Here are just some of the best tips and tricks. I come here to pick up the kids every afternoon. And I'd normally have one or two cigarettes while I was waiting. And I'd rate these cigarettes probably one or two. But now, I come equipped. In my purse, I now carry lifesavers, chewing gum, toothpicks, and I even have my toothbrush. And now, I'm into novels. I have time to read while I'm waiting, and I don't even want a cigarette most of the time. Most of them want to stop, but can't break the habit. <coughs> You're not interrupting. Hi, Coco. Hi. I have a memory that just surfaced of seeing Earth Girls Are Easy in the theater with my father, and it was very awkward. How old were you? I think I was 10 or 11. And what is the summary of that film? Uh, three aliens who are Jeff Goldblum, Damon Wayans, and Jim Carrey. Okay. Cr crash land in, I think... I think it's Gina, it's Gina Davis's pool, I think. <laughs> and anyways, they're in a little spaceship. And they're, I think there's a, an orange one, a blue one, and a red one. And they have like fur all over their bodies. And they kind of look like the things from Avatar. And they have little helmets on. And then I think they shave themselves and pretend to be humans. And they, they're like hooking up with Gina Davis and stuff. They're all like. It's just a horny 90s movie. Getting laid, man. Nanu, nanu. <laughs> Very horny movie. <laughs> Not what I thought it was going to be. They're aliens lost in space, looking for somewhere to land. It's love at first fright. Earth girls are easy. I'm going to show you something that's going to totally change your life completely forever. You're incredible. So, 
What's the plan for tonight? We can't go out with these guys. They're aliens. They can still be dates. Their close encounters are of a different kind. Dancing in our nightclubs. They boldly go where no alien has gone before. We may not even be, you know, anatomically correct for each other. That could be a real problem. No problem. Earth girls are easy. What is easy? This is easy. She's, there's a lot of horniness in her early work. Well, who isn't horny for Gina Davis? We'll put a cricket in there. That's right. See? No one. Pulling up the reservation for Zbornak, Nancy has bad news. Yes, Sven, it's bad. Their rooms have been given away. Yeah, she was holding them, but the hold only lasted until 3 a.m. Hearing the cancellation was company policy, Sophia has a policy of her own, which begins with the breaking of Nancy's knees. Sophia's plan of attack uh, starts at the knees? Yes. Is that a height-based decision? Oh, see, I went with Mafia. Oh, I'm sure. But that was my first thing, but yeah, maybe. I feel like she's just got to get in there and kind of chop them down like a tree. Start at the knees, like they Like the most down. accessible thing for her. And the genitals. Yeah, and then they are her height. Yeah. Thank I'm you. sure she's had plenty of practice. Frustrated but flexible, Dorothy shrugs off the policy and suggests they just take different rooms. But there aren't any others available in that hotel. Sophia is shocked that not only their rooms were tossed, but there weren't any others. She's equally shocked that for an 80-year-old in the middle of the night, she's able to keep up with all the goings-on. Stepping up is Blanche. I'm sorry, Angie. Where last week she was simply actress Angie Dickinson's body double, this week she is actually her, or at least she's claiming to be. With a little accent and a tooth whistle, Nancy isn't buying it, seeing as Blanche literally doesn't look like her. Even being questioned can't slow Angie down. Of course she doesn't look like herself. She's preparing for a role. A role, according to Dorothy, that's all about a woman who eats herself out from behind the Iron Curtain. Now, I have looked and looked, but there is no film of Angie's that I can find that fits that story. So I'm thinking it's just a general idea of an action movie for the time revolving around World War II or the Cold War. So instead of clearing that up, I'll just give you some Angie fun facts. She played opposite Ronald Reagan when he was still just an actor, not a nation destroyer, in the only film where he portrayed a villain. He even slaps her. Go on, get moving. I said, I like it here. Well, I can change that in a hurry. She was also very good friends with Mr. Burt Reynolds, providing him with his first on-screen kiss. Well, we've had a nice talk, lady, and I hope you get oh, your gold. Mr. Whiskey, when they start minting coins in Denver next month, I don't want them to discover the lead bars Phillips put back in place of the gold. And she wasn't known as a singer, but she did perform with Perry Como for his Christmas special. Troll the ancient Yuletide carol. La, 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 la. away, the old year passes. This might have been because she lived in a musical household. From 1965 to 1981, she was married to singer-songwriter Burt Bacharach. Composer of such classics as I Say a Little Prayer, What the World Needs Now, I'll Never Fall in Love Again, The Look of Love, the theme from Arthur, and Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head. Together, together, that's how it must be to live with, do it only, mean 
She was in the movie Duets. Just you speaking of her <gasps> singing, and I think Duets is that karaoke Gwyneth movie. Paltrow. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, Huey Lewis. Huey Lewis. And I think it was directed by her father. I think it was by Bruce Paltrow. It was Gwyneth oh. Paltrow's father. Anyways. She was in Duets. Maybe let's cruise. Once Dorothy is done making fat jokes towards Blanche, Rose steps in, suggesting they just go elsewhere. So they'll just take their luggage. Oh, I'm sorry. Too soon. They'll just take their eye bags and find another room at another hotel. But that won't work either, Nancy informs them. The city is booked. There isn't a room in town. Seeing as they need to get something resembling rest before their TV appearance in just a few hours, they're desperate. That's why, when evil, ruffled Nancy offers to let them sleep in the abundantly furnitured lobby, she'll only charge them 75 bucks and she won't call the cops on them. So they take her up on it, even if it is a lot of money, which Nancy's well aware of, which is why she's holding them hostage. Wow, Nancy, how many rooms have you just given away over the years just to do your little lobby extortion trick? Huh? Huh? Nancy! <laughs> Answer me, Nancy! We're sick of this shit! Oh, <laughs> I censored myself. As angry as Dorothy is and having to pay up, Rose is feeling equally excited. They're on this adventure that... Just a few hours before, they hadn't even considered. Now here they are, across the country, sleeping in a hotel lobby. She may see it as an adventure, but Blanche sees it as a living hell. They're going to be on TV wearing the same clothes they've traveled and slept in. So, you know, the swampiest undies. And they'll be so groggy, they won't be able to answer the trivia questions. Do you think you could appear on TV in clothes you I don't think I could do it. I don't know what I would. I'd have to borrow someone's clothes on the crew or something. I'd be more like I need a toothbrush and a something to put my hair in, and I, then know, I think I'd you know be what? okay. I really need more than anything is just like a a hot wet rag washcloth <laughs> to just get yeah, yeah get it done. A couple baby wipes in the pits and and other places. Yeah, um, I mean it really doing a crotch refresher really really it's a game changer. Peps you up. It really gets you going. Yeah, that whole idea. It's almost like a weird. Um, uncomfortable underlayer of this entire episode is just that they've been in those clothes since let's say eight nine o'clock the night before and they have to go to the show at 10 a.m and they're just and they've traveled across the country and then laid on a lobby couch that would feel horrible although i have worn the same clothes for like 36 hours and then had to change really quick to officiate a wedding and that was and how did that wedding turn out? The, the wedding end? was great. I'm mean, sorry, how did that marriage turn out? They did just divorce, so. <laughs> I blame you not washing the day of. Sophia is on Rose's side. Blanche and Dorothy need to chill out. This is already so much better than the game show from Italy during World War II. It was called Torture and hosted by fascist leader Mussolini. Given Hitler's adoration for Mussolini, being inspired by fascism to create Nazism, and Mussolini's anti-anti-Semitic views, there was a bit of what HistoryofYesterday.com calls a love-hate relationship between the two. Hitler loved Mussolini. Mussolini hated Hitler. So during torture, he would ask Hitler-specific questions. If the player chose Hitler, well, it was bad news, almost as bad as being sent to the lightning round. 
Let's just say it wasn't named that because it was fast paced. You seen Mussolini and watching it in the show, it sparked a memory from when I was a child and there was a rhyme that people used to say. I don't know if you oh. said this. Maybe this is a regional thing. Whistle while you work. Hitler is a jerk. Mussolini lost his weenie. Now it doesn't work. <laughs> no. I, I've never heard that. Locals only. I guess so. I don't know where that came from. Well, but people said I do it. believe he lost his weenie. Did he? Well, he was hanging by his bootstraps for a few days. Oh, right. They kind of. They kind of let their feelings be known. They got him. Yeah. Not believing her mother, Dorothy calls bull. But Sophia has proof it was real. It was picked up by Goodson Todman in the States and rebranded as Tattletales. If you've ever watched a game show, you've probably seen the Mark Goodson logo. He and business partner Bill Todman produced dozens of shows, including Beat the Clock, Family Feud, To Tell the Truth, What's My Line, Card Sharks, Password, and yes, Tattletales. I'm unfamiliar with Tattletales. Tattletales. What, so, how is that played? Yeah, so it would be couples. So it'd be three people on the stage, and in front of them was a little TV screen, and that was their partner. And they were in another room with headphones and whatnot. For this clip, it's actually a celebrity version, and Bob Barker is the special guest host. And so it's actually other game show hosts that are playing, including Richard Dawson from Family Feud, and they ask questions. So it's kind of a newlywed game. Basically, the difference is you get the answer right away. So they ask Richard Dawson, like, oh, if you came home with lipstick on your collar, would your wife say anything? And then they take a minute to say a funny little joke or whatever, and then they cut to the screen in front of them and have the wife answer. And if they match, they get a point. Everyone in this arena has a money stake in one of our famous couples as we play the game of celebrity gossip, Tattletales. And here's today's star of Tattletales, Bob Barker. Tattletales is fun, but it's not as awkward and uh, just full-on uncomfortable as one of my favorites, which was Three's a Crowd. Which had, uh, you know, the, the I think, three or four teams. And it was teams of three because it was the man was in the middle. And on one side of him was his wife. And on the other side was his secretary. And they would ask very personal questions. And usually the secretary got more correct. <laughs> Which in the 70s, you can only imagine what, I mean, the whole vibe of just like, of course I'm screwing my secretary. <laughs> Yeah, the implications and the, um, it's like giving license to be okay to do that. Yeah. Like, hey, this is just how it is. Buh, 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 or they're buh, like, we, to... we should have a show because everyone's screwing their secretary. Everyone's going to love it. The wives <laughs> are going to love it. Are you much of a game show viewer? Yeah. When or I was, like, were you? When I was young, I watched, I loved like, yeah, Press Your Luck. I think I watched Password a lot. I remembered Scrabble when you, I think I saw oh, a clip of Scrabble. Yeah. And that that really sparked a memory for me. I also <laughs> loved Love Connection. I loved all. I mean, I loved. Yeah, I loved game shows. I loved The Price Is Right when I was home sick. Oh, I loved. Yeah. Uh, what else was on during the day? Oh, Supermarket Sweep. Oh, Hello, that yeah. was like my favorite show. Yeah. Back when we were getting a little older, and so the afternoon blocks went from cartoons to the game show blocks <laughs> with Supermarket Sweep, and then um, Shop Till You Drop. Do you remember that one? It was right after Supermarket Sweep, and it was like a little mini mall, and they would get to run and like, oh, yeah. buy, like buy stuff or like figure out the right price of what were to buy. Were there like two floors? Yeah. Yeah, I do remember that. That one always seemed yeah. very exciting. Yes, that one did too. 
But I grew up also with my grandma and my mom loving game shows. So like I watched Beat the Clock, which is like full on black and white. <laughs> they would stop in the middle and be like, this moment brought to you by Borax, you know, like way old school. Put it inside you. And clean out, <laughs> clean out germs. It won't give you any problems <laughs> later. Uh, old school, was it Price is Right or Wheel of Fortune where they would like pick prizes? Oh, from, Wheel like, of Fortune. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you that had to a, buy it right then. Just a brief moment in time. Yeah. And I think I, I must have watched reruns of game shows when I was little too because I feel like I saw that a lot mm-hmm. and I loved it. <laughs> Show me a, just a, a things I can just point at and they're mine. <laughs> While music plays, ooh. Seeing as Sophia is in the perfect age window of sleep anywhere comfortably, which I believe occurs the first and last 21 years of a person's life, she tells everyone to shut up as she throws her head back onto a pillow. Since Blanche, Rose, and Dorothy aren't quite in that same window, they all take a moment to adjust, trying to find a position that won't have them limping in the morning. I know I would get $75 worth of sleep by pushing some of those chairs together, curling up in front of the fire, really make a meal out of it. The next morning, at what from the outside appears to be a completely different building than the one we were introduced to the night before, we go inside to find a maid dusting the currently occupied hotel lobby. And as someone who has a professional cleaning job, let me say she's doing a terrible, terrible job. Flinging her feather duster around, the uncredited maid accidentally brushes up against a sleeping yet vividly dreaming Blanche, who mistakes the cleaning tool for a Fifty Shades tool, calling out for Fernando to stop with the feather play, causing the entire lobby, the people reading, the people sitting at random tables, that guy in a tux, to all stop and stare. Coming to the rescue, Dorothy gets Blanche to wake up. After coming to... Blanche apologizes for her sexy dream time. Inspired by the moment, Sophia takes a trip down memory lane, sharing that she and Sal did some feather play in the bedroom back in the day. But seeing as he couldn't be bothered to take the feathers out of the chicken first, it didn't go well. For this, Dorothy asks to never be taken on such a memorable trip ever again. Remembering why they're all sleeping in the lobby in the first place, Rose, of all people, gets them back on track. Um, shouldn't we be headed to the studio? To confirm their schedule, Sophia asks Dorothy to give her the tickets. They're in her purse, a purse that Dorothy doesn't have. Looking around frantically, all four ladies realize their purses have gone missing. They have become the victims of the titular dough-grabbing. As the transition shows us a parade of wonderfully boxy, cocoa-approved 80s vehicles, we are back in the lobby where the ladies are reporting the theft to a police officer, played by Ken Smolka. He had a decent career, especially in the 80s, appearing in Who's the Boss, Die Hard 2, Dallas, Santa Barbara, Highway to Heaven, Magnum P.I., T.J. Hooker, Little House on the Prairie, Lou Grant, Halloween 2, Eight is Enough, Knott's Landing, and General Hospital. There's not really anything he can do, and not just because he's a member of the LAPD. But since the girls, and I guess Nancy, didn't see who robbed them, they're out of luck. So if they find out anything else, or if Blanche wants to engage in feather play with him, they can give him a call. Even though Blanche is laying it on thick, the officer simply walks away from her advances, leaving room for an excited Sophia. She just returned from the restroom where she found something amazing in her bra. No, not her deflated post-nursing fill breasts, but something even better. She found the tickets. 
Everyone is elated. Dorothy so much so she wants to lay a big kiss on her mother. But seeing as their toothbrushes are still riding around in circles at the LAX baggage claim, the kiss will need to wait. Finally, they have some good news. That's right, Sven. It's good news. They're within walking distance of the studio, and they'll still have time to make it. The distance is a little much for walking, especially with Sophia's tiny legs. And without the advent of Uber or Lyft, there's only one other option. Blanche can take inspiration from actress Claudette Colbert, who famously used the allure of her lifted skirt and exposed calf to hitchhike in the Oscar-winning 1934 film It Happened One Night. I'll stop a car and I won't use my thumb. What are you going to do? The system on my own. Which has the distinction, along with One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and one of mine and Coco's all-time favorites, Silence of the Lambs, for winning Oscars for Best Screenplay, Actor, Actress, Director, and Picture. Another thing I thought of, Coco, while watching it with you was, so they're in their clothes that they flew in and then that they slept in, and now they're going to walk like 40 city blocks. In Los Angeles. In Los Angeles in their little heels. They'd be bloody. They'd be dehydrated. I mean, seriously, one or more of them may die. <laughs> but it's worth it to grab that dough. Technically, a ride would be better than walking, but Sophia is worried Blanche's thigh, of course, due to its Arnold Schwarzenegger-like girth, would be confused as an on-ramp. Oh, boy. Perhaps in honor of the 1978 comedy thriller Foul Play, starring Goldie Hawn and Chevy Chase, the girls have taken a wrong turn and somehow ended up at KSF-TV, a fake San Francisco television station where Goldie's character worked. It also appeared in the adventure comic book back in the day. Needless to say, San Fran is a lot further than 39 blocks from their hotel. But who cares, because we are about to enter the most sitcomiest of sitcom moments, and it is nothing but flawless, chaotic gold. As the girls find their way into the station, they come upon the model, Vanna White-inspired character, Tiffany, in a light pink but brightly sparkling dress. Tiffany Blaine is being played by Kelly Andrus, who had roles on Murphy Brown, Days of Our Lives, Mr. Belvedere, Hill Street Blues, and The A-Team. Excited to share they'll be playing the game today, Rose introduces Tiffany to everyone. Dorothy introduces everyone to Tiffany. After the pleasantries, Blanche has something to say about Tiffany's choice to pose in a Playboy-esque magazine. This was definitely inspired by Vanna, as she did appear on the cover of Playboy in May 1987. That, of course, wasn't her choice. In an interview with Wendy Williams, she voiced her regret about the photos, but they hadn't been for Playboy in the first place. She had done a lingerie shoot to pay her bills when she was still struggling to make it in Hollywood. Once she became famous, thanks to Wheel of Fortune, Hugh Hefner purchased the pictures. The two of them were actually friends at the time, so he called to tell her he would be using her name and tasteful partial nudes to sell his magazine. She begged him not to, out of fear she would lose her job and career, but he didn't care. Luckily, she didn't lose anything, and it is a forgotten moment that only made him look bad. As an expert, Blanche is curious if Tiffany's photo shoot partner, a British cop, or Bobby, was an actual officer of the law or just an officer of her booty. Once again, Blanche is completely ignored. Then all of the pain, anguish, and agony of the last 12 hours disappears, 
for there, in front of them, is the one and only Guy Corbin. James Mackerel is such a good-looking, good-sounding, and great-acting game show host, it's really kind of shocking he was never more than the guy who played one on TV. And on TV and film, he appeared in Dynasty, 21 Jump Street, The Twilight Zone, Teen Wolf, Moonlighting, Gremlins, Remington Steel, The A-Team, Heart to Heart, Fame, Chips, Fantasy Island, The Greatest American Hero, Dallas, Eight is Enough, Taxi Soap, The Love Boat, The Howling, Mod Squad, The FBI, and don't tell Sophia, but the TV series version of her least favorite musical, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. He was also in the recently viewed in our house, Defending Your Life, where he played, appropriately, a game show moderator. That's it, Lenore. You tried, you failed. The game's over for you. Stay here, and someone will come get you. Stu, the decision is yours. Do you want to stop here or face your fear? I'll face the fear. He's facing his fear. He's facing his fear. Rose finds Guy so hot, he brings her chocolate malt beverage Ovaltine to a roaring boil. As he welcomes the ladies in classic game show fashion, he excitedly tells the girls about the breakfast they've provided, tossing it back to Tiffany to have her tell them all about it. While Rose and Sophia get the Tiffany treatment, Blanche pulls Dorothy away to discuss their competition and how it should be Rose and Sophia. The other players, the Kaplan brothers, are game show pros, having won over 40 grand on other shows. So because of their talents, the girls should go on that team. Then they'll have a better chance at winning. Dorothy doesn't want to hear it. After everything they've gone through, and Sophia being the one who even got them the tickets in the first place, she can't just ditch them. But Blanche will have it no other way. She's caught Rose's competitive bug, and she must win. With the light arm twist of, yeah, leave your best friend and mother behind, Dorothy is in. Dividing the room into teams with as much organization as getting kindergartners and gym to pick teams, Tiffany declares it's almost showtime, so it's time to get in your groups. As an excited Sophia reaches out for her daughter, Blanche has news for her. And yes, Finn, it's bad. Telling them that she and Dorothy will be joining the Kaplan brothers for the game, Rose is shocked to hear the ladies have taken up performing country music. Well, except that that's the trio Larry Gatlin and the Gatlin Brothers, who had 33 top 40 hits, including... And all the gold in California is in a bank in the middle of Beverly Hills and somebody else's and I love few things as much as I love how Dorothy snaps. That's the Gatlin brothers. And now Dorothy makes a great point here. Since the other players apparently only came in groups of two to a game with four team members, they can just split up and each be on a team guaranteeing a win, which does make sense. But Rose isn't in the manure buying business. She's not having it. She knows this is a diss and it's coming from a place of concern that they might lose against the brothers. I'd like to talk about this more, but I was too busy being mesmerized by the delicate makeup application going on in the background with the happiest looking extra I've possibly ever seen. With less than a minute to stage time, Dorothy begs for them to not be mad, but Sophia's pissed. She's motivated to win now. But after a moment of reflection, she's realizing that with Rose on her side, she might not have the best odds at winning. So she tries to sell her spot, but it's too late 
It's showtime, baby. Playing the stage manager, informing everyone it's time to go, is Craig Schaefer. His career included writing, directing, and acting in movies and shows like Stripes, The Greatest American Hero, Rocky Four, Knight Rider, The Twilight Zone, Night of the Creeps, Webster, Knott's Landing, and Max Headroom. Have you seen Night of the Creeps? Possibly. Well, I highly recommend it. It's one of the best 80s horror comedies. I love it. The cover is icon- an iconic oh, VHS yeah. cover of a um, a man, a young man coming to pick up his dance, his date for the dance, and he's quite undead. He's holding flowers. Yes. Thank you. Wow. I I wa- I, I walked past it a lot when I was a kid and was afraid of the, the cover. <laughs> Much There's like several I was, covers. They're actually pretty cool. The original Day of the Dead poster from mm-hmm. when I was a child was up in the video store that we used to go to when I was a child and it scared the crap <laughs> out of me. And fun fact, I watched that movie yesterday. Night, so Night I beat of the you, Creeps? Day of the Dead. Oh. So I beat you, poster. That's right. I conquered my fear. That's right. What an all-time classic set we have with Grab That Dough. You have dollar signs being projected on the walls, the tiniest podiums ever, a hexagon on the floor surrounding the Grab That Dough logo, pastels, pastels, and more pastels. It's a stunner. After being welcomed to the show and showing us all the GDT hand signal of, well, grabbing dough, Guy starts with contestant introductions. First, it's Dorothy, a Brooklynite who now works as a teacher in Miami, where she lives with her mother, a mother who is so desperate for her to go on a date, she's willing to pay. Blanche, who has removed her jacket as to reveal her red sequin dress, gladly presents herself to the camera when it's her turn as Guy reads off her fact sheet. She's an artist, has a banging body, runs a museum, is fluent in Chinese, and has a bucket list goal of sailing the world before she turns 40, an age Guy can only attribute to a typo. Dorothy is the only one of the two of them that care about Blanche's bio being horse pucky. She's just glad the crowd loved it. That's because Blanche only loves two things, money and applause. But Dorothy's forgetting her third favorite thing, sex. And part of why she loves that is the applause she usually gets afterwards. I really love the direction of this episode. The way the other players start getting introduced to fill the time while the two are talking. And then when they cut back, it's like perfect timing. It's really great. Getting to the other team, we aren't lucky enough to know who the Kaplan brothers are of Sophia and Rose's team, but no matter, we're on to Rose, whose contagious smile beams as Guy lists off her job, her home, St. Olaf, and her accomplishment, earning the superlative of most likely to get stuck in a tuba. Fully committing to the show, she waves with a dough grab. Finally, Sophia. She has six grandkids and Dorothy is her daughter. But Sophia has a clarification. No, Dorothy is no longer her child, Rose is, because Dorothy is as disappointing as the 1970s vehicle, the AMC Pesa. Unlike most of the cars we've talked about on the show, the AMC Pacer didn't have issues like falling apart or exploding. Its biggest issue was its biggest issue. It was a small car, but it was as heavy as some of the larger cars around. The body was 37% glass, only adding to the weight. 
For how large the small car was, it was a two-door and only sat four people, as opposed to other cars that were the same size that held more passengers. If you want this much room, as well as a smooth and stable ride, and really believe you'll only get it in a bigger car, you're in for a pleasant surprise. Because now you can get that room and ride in the first wide small car, the AMC Pacer. That may explain why more than half the people buying the Pacer are trading in bigger cars for it. Uh, they've discovered they didn't need most of their big car anyway. Now that we know who will be playing, let's get to the game. The first round, Trivia Lightning. Don't worry, they don't use real lightning. What movie, directed by Paul Newman, was based off a Tennessee Williams play? That's when Willard Kaplan buzzes in. Hoping to see a perfect example as to why they switched teams, Dorothy and Blanche are sorely disappointed when Willard panics, can't answer, and apologizes. This leaves room for Rose to buzz in with the correct answer, the glass menagerie. And will I be glad? I'll be very happy. And so will you be. You will go up, up, up over Blue Mountain on a broomstick with 17 gentlemen callers. Playing the inept Willard is Charles Green. Golden Girls was one of the first roles in his nearly 100-credit 45-year career. He currently has a Walton's Thanksgiving film in post-production and will appear in the upcoming The Color Purple. Before those, he appeared in Dope Sick, Bad Trip, Freaky, Jumanji, The Next Level, Watchmen, Dr. Sleep, Shaft, The House with the Clock in Its Walls, Ozark, Claws, MacGyver, Thor, Ragnarok, Stranger Things, and The Happy Hooker Goes to Hollywood. His silent brother is played by Dan O'Shannon, who only had one other acting credit on Frasier. That's because he is known more as a producer and writer. He has been a producer on Cheers, Suddenly Susan, Frasier, Jericho, Better Off Ted, Modern Family, Be Positive, and more. His writing has been featured on those shows, along with Newhart, Star Trek Enterprise, and Superior Donuts. Rose's correct answer gets her team on the board with 100 points. When the next question about the invention of the assembly line comes up, Willard once again panic pushes the buzzer and has no answer, allowing for Sophia to come in for the kill, Henry Ford, who also invented the five-day, 40-hour workweek. Additionally, he would have lost at torture as he was chummy with Hitler. So, screw that guy. Now on to who was the then-current Secretary of State. This time, there's no frantic buzzer. In fact, Willard is quite confident as he pushes it. He then proudly proclaims, Charles Schultz. This time, it's Dorothy who's correct. That would be the creator of the Peanuts comics. Willard argues back, wasn't that George Washington Carver? Ugh, Willard, no. He was the most prominent black scientist of the 20th century. He was famous for soil improvements and discovering an array of usage for peanuts. Now that Willard has proven how dumb he is, Dorothy gives the order that he does not buzz in for the rest of the game. The correct answer, which Rose gives, is George Schultz. He was one of two people to have held four cabinet positions, Besides Secretary of State for Reagan, he was the Secretary of Treasury under Nixon, Director of the Office of Management and Budget, and the Secretary of Labor. When Rose cheers for herself, Blanche's jealousy has her hollering across the room for Rose to shut up. Who thinks Blanche should shut up? Which leaves Guy asking for both of them to shut up and listen to the next question. Now it's Blanche's time to shine. Asking for a phrase to be completed, 
which has been attributed to Chaucer as it was first used in 1386's The Canterbury Tales, and it read, For better than never is late. Never to succeed would be too long a period. Guy asks, Better late than... And with a dinging of her buzzer, a blank look on her face, and a huge smile, Blanche happily answers the question, Pregnant. She's not wrong. It's much better to have a late period that maybe scares you a bit than to be pregnant. But that's not the technically correct answer they were looking for. That's when Rock and Rose jumps in with the actual answer. Now that the first round is over, Rose and Sophia are ahead with a score of 400 against Blanche and Dorothy's zero. Going to commercial, Guy's smile drops and he runs off the stage. This break gives Sophia and Rose a chance to cross the stage and meet up with the girls to talk trash. First, Sophia would like to know what it's like to have a big, fat zero. No, not in the points department, but in the teammate realm. Knowing they have nothing to stand on, Dorothy and Blanche can't argue back. But Blanche can threaten to kick their butts in the next round, which is starting right now. Back to their places, it's time for the big money wheel. With the losers going first, Blanche asks Guy to show her what he's got going on before taking a spin, earning some stern talk from Guy for her to get going. Blanche's spin earns the jackpot of grab that dough. So now, Sophia's team is shafted. Blanche and company get to grab at dough in the money flurry. Dorothy has been chosen as the designated money grabber, probably because her hands will be able to grab a lot of cash. So after getting adorned with goggles and a smock, Dorothy takes her place. With a drum roll and cheer of grab that dough, Dorothy's off. All she has to do is get more than $500 to beat the other team. As she gladly humiliates herself on television, it turns out that she grabbed $900, each bill earning a squawk of delight from Blanche. They have now won the game. Because I guess only the losing team gets to spin the wheel? So, going home in second place, Sophia and Rose will each get $100, and a home version of the game, which involves using the reverse function on their vacuum. This isn't good enough for Sophia, who tells Guy to shut up in her own special, sweet Sophia way. As a different model grabs the girls off stage, it's now time for the green team to decide what to do, to keep their money and split it, or turn it in and pick a curtain. Very, let's make a deal. The team has chosen window three. First, they need to see what they didn't win. In window one, a living room, Tiffany not included. Why this living room, including clear speakers and ugly lamps, is worth a whopping $12,000. Now on to window two, which they also didn't win. A non-Tiffany model is sitting atop the sports car that they won't get to take home. How would that have worked exactly? Were they going to give four cars so that each player could take one home with them? Or is it just a bunch of lawsuits waiting to happen? So they won't be going home with the $23,000 sports car, which would be a nearly $60,000 car today. Finally, it's time for their window. And when I say window, I mean window. Because these vertical curtains are literally those horrible plastic shades that fall off constantly and make the most racket. I hate them. Living in Los Angeles, there was every place, every apartment I ever was near had full air conditioning. 
and oh nose my god, blinds, I can hear it, and they would just move I can them hear forever. It. <laughs> it's like shut up, shut those. God. I don't oh like them. The second you said that, I could just hear you that could, and gentle you see tapping. Them, yeah, going in in like like a wave. Yeah, it's just very click, delicate. Click, 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 click. Yeah, and it's like just a little click. A baby tap. Oh, I hate it. We had those in my house growing up for way too long. We always had those things. And yeah, you'd put the fan on and it was just like cha-chunk, cha-chunk, cha-chunk. And then you'd open them and you'd try to pull them to the side and one would just pop right pop off right and off. fall to the floor. Like one dead soldier. And then you'd put it back in and you'd do it too many times on the same one and it would break the little clippy-do. So then you'd either have a gap or you'd have to like tape it up there and it wouldn't turn right. Every apartment ever has had them. Oh. After seeing the stunning living room and gorgeous car, they cannot wait to see what awaits them. When the shades open, we see a sad, pitiful skillet. This fancy electric skillet does it all. Fries, skillets, cooks, heats, and according to Dorothy, it also sucks. Forcing Guy to make a formal apology to the Fry Quick company. Of course, that's not the only thing they're getting. No, Blanche, it's not a car. It's a lifetime supply of soup. Every kind of soup you could ever want, especially when living in the land of hot soup, Miami. As Blanche and Dorothy hold each other and cry, Rose and her team gather around the soup pyramid. Rose giving a pathetic dough-grabbing wave, Sophia staring into the camera as though it was taking her mugshot. Okay, so literally everything about this game show is just so silly. Of course they would have spoken to producers before arriving. They wouldn't have been able to just change teams. There would be comprehensible rules to the game, so on and so forth. I just wish there was someone who had experience on a game show who could give us some behind-the-scenes juice. Hi, I'm Emily, and I hit it big on Wheel of Fortune. Emily, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. So as we're watching this episode with the girls, they've gone on Grab That Dough, and it is comically ridiculous how they just show up on the game, and the teams are all willy-nilly, and there's no real rules. So I was hoping, as someone who was on Wheel of Fortune, you could maybe walk us through your experience and um, answer some of those burning questions we have about the show. Heck yeah. So let's go back. When did this happen that you were on the show? I was on the show in 2012, I believe. Okay. So how did that whole process happen? So they have a couple of ways that they get people on their show. You could either sign up on the website and maybe have your name picked and then you'd fly to Culver City, which you have to get yourself there and back and you could do that. That's one way. Another way is they have the wheelmobile auditions. So uh, kind of like a Pat Sajak knockoff <laughs> goes around the country in a bus and they stop at like different casinos and you can go and audition. So you get there and it's big lines, right? It's an all day thing. You basically put your name on a little ticket and they put it in a big bingo ball roller. They grab your name out. And if you get called, you get to audition. So you get called onto stage and they have like a little faux game where you play for a few minutes. So they want they're looking for people who are clapping and engaged and rooting for everyone and calling letters out nice and clear. And it's just a really short game. And then you introduce yourself. You have a full minute to talk. So you're basically just wanting to sell yourself as someone who could be on TV. After that, you get a call back or you get an email saying thank you for your time or whatever. I believe that's how they let you down. Um, and I got an email that said, you've been selected for the next round. So the next round after the 
Wheelmobile is you actually go somewhere like a usually a hotel convention center has been rented and you meet with producers and they have like a panel of contestant pickers. Like that's their job is they just go around. Dream job. Yeah. Right. So they split up the audition. It's a it's a few hours. You're there like half the day and they have different uh, milestones. So the first one is you're in a room. I'd say there was like 100 people in the room and we play a game and everyone has the chance to be called on. And you're solving a Wheel of Fortune phrase. And they're looking for people who can, without hesitation, call out a letter and call it clearly. Then they do cuts. That's, a, that's like an hour. They do cuts. The next round is a written quiz. So you're filling out basically uh, it's just missing letters and you're filling it out. And uh, we have a friend who was on it before me. And she told me, if you know them all, throw a few they don't want someone who's a know-it-all they don't want someone who's going to get every puzzle super easily so they were looking for people to attempt to solve them all but you know I left a few e's out here right. and there. <laughs> <laughs> so then they look at those you take like a break they have I think coffee and cookies and things they take a break they pick people to stay they dismiss the others and then you do mock games and they're like full-length games um, so everyone has a uh, chance to talk. They they tell you, like, clap like you're on the show, smile like you're on the show, pretend there's a camera on you because they're really looking for people who can keep their cool and be excited all the time. And then after that, they call you. So I got a call from one of the guys that was there picking contestants. He They each picked, like, a handful of contestants for their shows, which I thought was really fun because there's three of them. And then uh, they finalize your date. So when you get there for the actual recording, they are recording, I think, like nine episodes a day. So there's a bunch of people. You all get there in the morning. They go through a, a hour-long course about what documents you have to sign, what the rules are, what things you can and can't say. They ask you to put your phones away. Uh, when we got to meet Vanna, she came in and told everyone good luck. The other thing that they do there that I thought was really interesting was they ask if you know anyone else in the room. They don't want you on a show with someone you know. Oh, and, with other players or right. other contestants. And there oh, was right. someone I knew there, so we couldn't be on the show together. So that was just interesting. And then you just start recording, and you each get about an hour on stage to practice, and they put the heat on. This is something that was so crazy to see. They have people screaming in your face and fans on you. Um, and they're trying to like break you before they record to make sure no one's going to like lose it and pass out. On so stage. make it make it way harder than yes. the actual show will be so that that feels easy. Yep. They'll That's be like, think smart. faster, think faster, clapping and stuff. And I thought it was so fun. <laughs> you're like, scream uh, at me, so please. Fun. And then you're on the stage. They record it like you're watching the show. We do take breaks when we go to commercial. We all get like a five minute break while they do that, um, which I thought was kind of neat. I didn't realize that show recorded that way such wonderful information already. I would like to go back to that moment as I was present, and it is one of my favorite stories, too, when you were at the original, because I was with you at, <laughs> at your, um, the, very at the original Wheel Mobile, and then my mom and I actually went like a year later, and then I got through all the way to that final round, and I'm certain my letter got lost. But anyway, <laughs> when you're there, and they do the, the bingo wheel, and they pull your slip out, you have a little bit of a complicated name, so if you could walk listeners through that moment. Oh, that's funny. Okay, so the little tickets, they're basically the, you buy a raffle ticket, those ones, so you write your name and your number on it, and I think it had one other question, which was like a funny fact about you or something, something about yourself. And they, cause they had read our friend Jamie's, and she had put hot stuff as her middle oh, name. Oh, that's right. Jamie, hot stuff. And that was really <laughs> hilarious. 
and then they get to mine and they go emily emily uh, he's like trying to say it and so i slowly in slow motion rise with my hands above my ear eichel (laughs) burger it was so funny and he's like uh yeah that's it (laughs) and my approach on that was to flirt with him so i you need to think on your toes like what is your approach so i flirted with him and i sang on the stage i don't know if you remember that oh yes (laughs) I sing one way or another. I'm going to get you. <laughs> that was really fun. It was fun. quite the time. So the game itself, what about the wheel? How heavy is that wheel? It's How hard is it to very spin? heavy. You have to practice spinning it. They have a very specific way they show you how to do it, but it is super heavy. All right. So it's game time. Pat Sajak comes out. You've got your two contestants with you. Mm-hmm. You play your game. What did he smell like? Pat Sajak? Yeah. Um, clean, clean, a little bit of a powder makeup smell. Mm. Unsurprising. He was really funny and really nice. So I'm on the stage. It First of all, I am easily tempted with shiny things, bright <laughs> lights. I was looking at the audience, trying to see everyone's faces, see where my friends were. It was super nerve wracking, though, because in the practice round, I got every toss up. Nobody could beat me. The minute we started playing, I lost the first toss <laughs> toss up and I'm like oh crap I gotta get it together because I could see myself just like staring at the lights and mm. forgetting that you're actively playing again yeah. but the other thing that people don't understand is um, I I chose to spin and a lot of people disagree with my choice because I got a bankrupt and they're like why would you do that you could have just solved uh, we can see how much money we have and I know to get to the bonus round you have to beat the people and that girl that was to my left she was doing really well so, like, I was playing to beat her, not necessarily to win a, a puzzle. And then you landed on the big wedge. Million dollar wedge. And you got the letter, so you got to have the wedge. Yep. For anyone unfamiliar, the million dollar wedge, if you land on it and you get a letter, you get to hold on to it. You have to solve that puzzle. You have to win the game. You then have to spin the bonus wheel and land on the million dollar slot and then solve the final puzzle. Yep. So a lot of people don't know how hard it is to do that. So I got ripped to shreds on the internet because I got the million dollar wedge. I solved it. Then I lost it because I chose to spin. That's okay. That's okay because it is so hard to win that. Like you said, oh, yeah. you're not only winning that round, you're winning the whole game. And then you, you're you exchanging it with one wedge, the $100,000 mm-hmm. wedge. But that's why everyone was shocked. So you play your game, you're winning the puzzles, you win the game. Mm-hmm. You get to go to the final round. What was that feeling like? It was very exciting. I was elated. My heart was racing. And it's very sweet how it happened. So... You'll notice when you watch the show, Pat holds hands and walks someone out. So he asks you before you go on camera, like, are you comfortable with holding hands with me? It was very sweet. Now, I was just trying to keep it cool because I was definitely getting excited. But I know I wanted to be logical about it. And I practiced that round with my coworkers every day. And I actually said that in the newspaper and got really embarrassed because my boss was like, so you practice every day, huh? Uh, but we had a whiteboard in the office and we would do the final round and um, my two coworkers like helped me plan for it. So people were like, wow, you picked interesting letters because I went with a B. What did I say? B and O, I think. But nobody really picks B's, but it yeah. worked out for me, I think. How much money did you have going into the final round? I had 11,300, I think. OK, so you spin the little wheel, you get your puzzle. 
walk us through that. So I, it's two words and it has uh, the B is in the first is the first letter of the first word. And then I got all the O's. So it had uh, a B and then the second word had two O's filled out. So I was like, oh, and I think I had the D. I, yeah, I think. And the R. Yeah, so, so it, was it was clearly bird. It was like B blank blank D. So I I was like, this is so weird because like bird seed makes makes the most sense. So like my brain was going, yeah, it's birdseed, but there's no E, so it's not it. And then I said bird food. I think it was like pretty, pretty quickly quick, I yeah. said it. And it was right, but I was like so shocked because I'm like, that's such a weird phrase. Like I don't ever say bird food. It's birdseed. Yeah. <laughs> I was so confused. But I was, uh, I remember a screaming. I was like really excited and it, it took so long for him to open <laughs> the thing <laughs> to me. It was like a lifetime. And then I had... I nearly passed out because it said a hundred thousand. That was crazy, and you explained moment. it well. You explained when that happened, it was like you had tunnel vision. Yeah, and that's kind of how I felt too. Yeah, it was wild because I'm like I'm in this huge because it was at the convention center, so the audience was much larger than just their regular audience because mm-hmm. they were doing on the road shows and they were here in Portland, and it was so weird because I'm like, what are these people don't know her? This is amazing. They don't even know what this is like. <laughs> Like, it, yeah, it was just crazy that it was you. And that moment, I mean, as wonderful as that all was, the highlight was obviously your family. Oh, yes. Them jumping up and down on the stage. <laughs> your dad with his big sob face. Somebody immediately, like within hours, I remember we got home and I went online and somebody had posted like best family reaction yeah. ever. <laughs> and it was slow motion, them jumping. It was so funny. Oh. I sent it to everyone I know. <laughs> So you got $111,000 from mm-hmm. Wheel of Fortune, and then you had to fill out a lot of paperwork, I'm guessing. Yes. So if anyone ever goes on a game show, I, I'm glad I knew this. So we had a friend who went on it. She spent all her money and then got a tax bill, and I didn't want that to happen to me. So I actually split it in half, and I put half of it in a CD that I couldn't open for six months, which was the smartest thing I had ever done for myself because he knew I wanted to dip into Yeah. It. But uh, then I opened it and I paid the taxes because I paid about 51% taxes. So those of you who are going to be on a show, that's what's in that paperwork. Basically, you are notified that you have to pay taxes and it's done like you're an individual employee, basically. It's very high tax. You do have a choice to not take things. So the people that win a car on that show, they actually get um, some extra money too. Because that's supposed to go towards the tax for that car. And I think that's kind of nice oh, that they do cool. that. Um, but it's like on other game shows. So I have a friend who went on Price is Right. And they're um, given at the end, they can choose to just not take things. Yeah, that's what I've always thought. Because it's like, well, I don't have a backyard. I can't take a hot tub. Yeah, because yeah. my friend's boyfriend chose to just keep the boat that he won. Because he got the whole showcase. Oh, that's cool. But he didn't keep anything else. Because you have to pay that 50% taxes yeah. on it. Wow, that's wild. So what was what was the highlight of your spending? What was the thing you were most excited about? I was most excited. I got a 2006 Volvo. It was very cute. It was a terrible decision, though. It was a lemon. But I was the most excited about that. And then we did a trip. So I did three big things. I got a Volvo. We did a friend trip to Orlando. And I paid for our timeshare there so that a bunch of people could go. And then I got a new bedroom set, one of the fancy, expensive ones. That was very exciting. I still have it. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, I paid off a lot of our bills. 
any kind of debt we had, I paid that off. So what was your favorite moment being on the show? And also some hot tips on how to get on a game show. What oh, do you think? absolutely. Is it cleavage? First of all, I think the whole process. I really enjoyed the start to finish process of how they run a game show. I remember thinking after I won, I got talking with some of the the um, contestant pickers and they said, oh, if you want this job, like we can get you an in. You just have to move to Culver City. Like, <laughs> no, thank you. Well, but it was so fun. Like the amount of energy that's I would love to be around that every day. And in terms of tips, I was told these tips and they work. They said when you get there, it's highly likely that the people, the producers or the people that pick the contestants are going to pretend to be contestants. So they're there listening to what everyone's talking about. They're looking at how you interact with people. So I went in like the audition already started and I was talking to everybody, introducing myself, you know, being really friendly, always making eye contact. And they were right. One of the people that ended up being on the panel was pretending to be a contestant. Wow. Like just sitting there, not really acting official, you know. Right. Always making the eye contact and always clapping. You know, when p other people are spinning and they're clapping for them, they want you to do that. They want to have camaraderie there. In uh, a couple seasons, there's an episode where Dorothy tries out for Jeopardy. And in the end, the contestant wrangler guy, he's like, well, we're choosing people that people at home want to root for. And I always think about that because it really is. It's like you don't get to know anything about these people except, except for, for the little, little snippet blip. that they say. And you just kind of have to judge off that and then be like yeah I want you to oh man they, I want them to win too though oh no they want people with interesting stories so one of the women there when I was there I don't think she got picked um, but she made it to the third round in the audition in person she was a collector of anything penguin and she just went on and on for about six minutes about her snow globes and her figurines and her oven mitts and she was just quirky and I think they like people with a little bit of a quirk or yeah. who aren't afraid to say something silly. Um, but that you got to just put yourself out there. Especially They're Wheel of Fortune. It's America's game show. So it's like it's not just personalities or TikTokers right. or whatever. It's like I can relate to you because you have five dogs at home or you have two kids or the job is the same. You know, it's like yeah. a, a slice of everyday people. But I think everyone had a little bit in common, and that was they were very friendly and charismatic, and everyone got along. People were exchanging emails and phone numbers who we were all in the session that yeah. morning. So I don't know. It's, you just got to be yourself and not be afraid to be yourself. Well, that is wonderful information. Thank you so much for sharing it with of us. Of course. For more of Emily and her amazing stories, you can listen to her on Murder in the Rain, or you can follow her on TikTok at M-E-M -E underscore Murder in the Rain. And if you mind me, watch your step there, and here we go. Let's get you settled right here and get you working on this puzzle now. Category tonight is Thing. R-S-T-L-N-E. Down night for you, so let's finish on an up. Well, that's all you're gonna get there. That's all right. Let's have three more consonants and a vowel. D. It's one. P. Two. B. And a vowel. A. All right. Let's see. Yeah, you can do this. You're gonna only get a couple letters, but shh, quiet, folks, please. Nothing from you. Thing is the category. You have ten seconds to tell us what it is. Good luck. Bird. That's it. Bird. 
The girls arrive back home still in the same clothes, and they're happy to be there. Especially, well, everyone but Rose. While everyone else was feeling miserable about their lost luggage, lost game, and lost time, she's reveling in the fact that they got to play the game and even use the flight home to make up. Not that that means all that much. Their only options were to talk things out or watch one of my favorite childhood films, The Three Amigos. I'm Lucky Day. I'm Ned Niederlander. I'm Dusty Bottoms. So together we're the Free Amigos. <coughs> Exhausted, Blanche is looking forward to getting out of the dress she's been in for at least 36 hours at this point, with no underwear, of course, and getting into a hot tub. Rose is happy to be doing the same. Problem being, the house only has one bathtub. So Rose calls dibs on the deep end. Hey, Rose, I think it's super cool you guys are chill enough with each other. You can take a bath together. But maybe let's not do it when you guys have been on a plane, in a hotel lobby, on a game show, and then on another cross-country flight in the same clothes. Just let the woman rinse off alone this time. Once those two are gone, Sophia and Dorothy still have some making up to do of their own. Sophia is hurt she was thrown to the side because of Dorothy's desire for money. When asked if there was anything she could do to make things right, Sophia requests $100. Dorothy's willing to compromise and give her $50. It's a deal. And now it's time to grab a nap. Perhaps the message to take away from this episode is karma. If you're willing to throw your mother to the curb in your pursuit of money and cars, well, you might end up with a griddle and soup. But really, it's just a fun, funny, classic sitcom episode filled with nonsense, outrageous plot lines, and no space for heavy feelings. So thank you, Grab That Dough. We needed an escape. As always, thank you for listening and thank you for being a friend. Be sure to join us next week when a storm forces everyone to lie in My Brother, My Father. Let's get some fan fiction on what those two Nate Nate nine 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 and a prune and a prune at an age where you were like, oh, this is a horny movie, or were you still young enough that it's like, oh, this is weird. Yeah, it felt weird. It was like when I want. Well, speaking of Gina Davis, there's a movie called Transylvania Six Five Thousand that she was in, <laughs> also starring Jeff Goldblum. I, I forgot about that movie. And she is it's a she's a very like sexual character in that. She plays like a vampire lady who is just all over Ed Bagley Jr., I think. Just cannot leave him alone. It's very funny, and he's very uncomfortable, but I don't know where I was going with that. Horniness. <laughs> She's... I bet it... Oh, that's funny, because I... Oh, no, I... And then, yeah, they fall to their knees, and then she <laughs> slices their throat. But, oh. I liked seeing you naked all those times. Watch Big Bad Mama and Big Bad Mama 2 on Tubi. Right here. Take it away, Angie. Gay men don't like boobs. Oh. Have I missed some new memo? (laughs) That has not been my my experience through mine own eyes. You don't want to watch a campy Big Bad Mama from the 70s where Angie Dickinson's throwing her teats around? 
I'm not saying I don't want to watch it. They want to watch it. I think. Gmail us. <laughs> and Gmail Dickinson us. Oh. My new hot tip for the summer is if you if you're like sleepy, just put a pour a bunch of cold water on your penis <laughs> or vagina. <laughs> pour a bunch of cold water on your genitals. Pour your pour cold water on any genitals you see. Summertime. Take that, Mussolini. Your wiener sucks. <laughs> pour some ice water on it. Penne pasta, peeny. Oh. Is it? Hello? Is it because it's, it's also shaped, shaped like a phone? I'm going to pick one up right now. Hello? I'm talking into a pasta. <laughs> Hello, is this pasta? We only drop penises. Goggle with borax. Flinging her feather duster around the uncredited. Oh my gosh, I wrote nurse? I didn't eat my sandwich that fast. I'm saying, hey, there's nothing. Why? Playing the stage manner and informing everyone it's time. Manager. What'd I say? Manner. Ew. Who also invented the 40-hour workday and 5-hour workweek. Nope. (laughs) 40-hour day. Now on to window two. (laughs) I slowed it down for you, baby. I got a little drunk back here. I made love to Pat Sajak (laughs) on the wheel of fortune. (laughs) On the wheel. So Rose Cobb... So Rose Cobb's Jibra. (laughs) Well, you might just end up with a girdle and soup. Girdle? Always Be My Sisters is written, hosted, and created by Alicia Holland. Produced and edited by Josh McCullough. Always Be My Sisters is a Cascade Media production. You'll always be my sister.